Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. your Bibles tonight, you can open them with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 once again, and tonight we're going to give our attention to verses 89 through 96. Psalm 119, 89 through 96, and this evening we're looking at the 12th stanza of the psalm. It is the Lamed stanza, and this stanza opens the second half of the psalm, so now we are Uh, if you will, on the downhill slope of the study, going into the second half of looking at Psalm 119. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along and hear the Word of God. Psalm 119, verses 89 through 96. Forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. May the Lord bless this evening the reading and the teaching of his word. Uh, If you'll recall with me for just a moment our previous studies in Psalm 119, uh, you'll remember that specifically over the last three stanzas, the psalmist has been brought to the end of his rope. In those three stanzas, the emphasis of his prayer, of his song, has fallen on the hardship and the suffering that he is facing. Uh, He's seen unrelenting opposition, affliction, and persecution. Uh, The waves of the wicked, whom he describes as the insolent, are continually rolling over him. Uh, He's drowning in despair. And we come to our stanza tonight, the 12th stanza, the Lamed stanza. And what we discover is that there's still no downplaying of the storm that he's facing. It's still there. The wicked are still present and active. He mentions them in verse number 95. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me. Uh, Just a quick note right here. The enemy takes no time off. Satan doesn't change. He doesn't let up. He is uh, walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Sin is relentless. Your flesh, your uh, carnal nature uh, will always uh, be a struggle. Uh, Whatever form the enemy may take, it's always, the fight is always there. It's always ongoing. Uh, The enemy is still active. In verse 94 of our stanza tonight, we hear his cry for help continuing to go up. 
I am yours, save me. We looked a couple of Wednesday nights ago at a, a helpful prayer uh, from verse uh, 86, the previous stanza, the Kaf stanza, help me. Well, this is the reiteration of that prayer in just a slightly different form, save me. I think there's benefit and value in extended time in prayer, but don't think that the Lord hears you because of your many words. In fact, he condemns the Pharisees for that very approach. They think they will be heard for the many words that they speak. Um, it's the sincerity of the heart, the faith. Uh, and here the psalmist is crying out in short fashion, but certainly full of faith. Save me. Help me. Save me. Uh, again, just another pocket prayer to hold on to. But the waves are still rolling. The fight is ongoing. The night is still dark. But what we discover in our stanza tonight is that in these verses, the psalmist has found some high ground. He's found a place for his feet to stand. Spurgeon says of this particular stanza that after tossing about upon a sea of trouble, here the psalmist stands upon a solid rock. And when you're going under, when the waves are going over your head, that's exactly what you need, a place to stand. You need some higher ground. I'll give you just a personal illustration for a moment. Some of you uh, have already heard this story. It's not one of my finer moments, uh, but... Just a couple of weeks ago, I decided it would be really fun to fall off a boat in the middle of the lake. I was fishing with my brother one particular uh, afternoon, and I was on the back of his boat, and as I went to cast with his rod and reel, uh, and his very expensive rod and reel, it was a cold day, and I had my gloves on, and the rod and reel went into the water. And in that moment, I had flashbacks to my younger years as siblings, and how he used to beat me, and horned me, and I thought, he's going to do it to me now as a grown man on the back of his boat because I've lost his rod and reel. And I thought, in that moment, I've got to get this. And so I reached down as it was going under the water, and when I reached, I just kept reaching, and I just kept going. And off I went the back of the boat, head first and feet soon following. Well, uh, I've told some people, I think uh, we can now say that Jesus, Peter, and Wayne Meadows may be the only people to have ever walked on water. Uh, because I did not stay in the water long. I was coming out in a hurry. Uh, my brother had no clue what was going on. He just heard the commotion and turned around. And uh, in true big brother fashion, he was laughing more the concerned in the immediate moment. And uh, as I came up, uh, because it was a, a colder day, I was instantly uh, upset with myself that I just lost his rod and reel. Uh, but I was also mad at myself because nobody jumps in the lake on a cold day, which I had just done. And because of the weather situation that day, I had a, a blavica on. You know what those are, those ski mask type looking things. And so it was covering, uh, my, the only thing showing was my, my eyes. I had a toboggan on, had a, a full rain suit, cold weather suit on. And because I went in head first, the blavica was entirely soaked. Now, I've never been waterboarded intentionally, uh, but I imagine that's what it was like. Because as I was trying to catch my breath, breathing through my mouth or nose, this waterlogged fabric was just suffocating me and uh my brother at this point is you know still laughing but reaching out his hand <laughs> and trying to tell me you're okay you get up on the boat and I'm climbing up on the boat 
And as I get in the boat, I'm fine. I'm just upset, mad at myself. And then he, he says to me, why didn't you just stand up? And it was at that moment I realized we were fishing in four foot of water. <laughs> Had I known this or thought of this at that moment, I would have just let the rod and reel go to the bottom and got it out a whole lot easier. I was just fearing for my life and having to tell my wife that I've got to pay for my brother's rod and reel. So long story short, I was okay. We had a really good laugh. And after many long prayers offered up on my behalf off the back of the boat, uh, we did recover the rod and reel. So uh, all ended well. It was a chilly day for the rest of the day, uh, but uh, we managed to make it. So we, we have a, a good story to share uh, from now on. But I share that with you because I want you to know that as a child of God, when you find yourself in the midst of a storm and you feel like you're going under, just stand up. Stand up and stand on the word of God. God has given us a place that we can stand no matter uh, what is happening around us. In the midst of storms, the word of God is a firm foundation for us. Again, the words of Spurgeon, after tossing about upon a sea of trouble, here the psalmist stands upon a solid rock. And we know this, we sing about this all the time, don't we? Think of the many hymns that we sing that capture this very idea. Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. I'm standing on the promises of God. God's given us a place to stand. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. What do we stand on? The firm foundation of the word of God. His oath his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We have a firm foundation to stand upon when we face the relentless attack of the enemy. The psalmist gives us that tonight in this stanza. As we look back in these verses tonight, I want to uh, just capture for us two important truths about God's Word that lead to it becoming and being our firm foundation, the high ground that we can stand upon in the midst of life's storms. So two truths from the words of the psalmist tonight. First of all, in the opening part of the stanza, he leads us to, to see and to understand the stability of God's Word, the stability of God's Word. In the first half of the stanza, verses 89 through 91, the psalmist is declaring the eternal nature of God's Word. And it is this nature, this character of God's Word that lends itself 
to becoming our sure foothold in life, to be the stable ground that we need when we find ourselves in the depth of despair. Uh, we, we know tonight that shifting foundations uh, aren't safe. Shifting foundations are insecure. Um, I, I, I'm reminded of Psalm 46, that great psalm that inspired Luther to write, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, in, in the opening uh, of that uh, psalm, uh, he, he captures the idea of the earth shaking violently, of storms surrounding us, of mountains being cast uh, into the heart of the sea. But in the immediate next portion of the psalm, he says, but there's stability to be found. There's a refuge. There's calm. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. He will help her. She shall not be moved. So the contrast is in a world where everything is in chaos, shaking all around us, but in the security that we have that comes through God, and particularly through the Word of God. The Word of God for the child of God is a strong and sure foundation, even in the midst of the storms that we face. Notice the words that the psalmist uses here in these opening verses of the stanza that, that capture this idea of stability. Forever, he opens it in verse 89. Firmly fixed in the second half of verse 89. Faithfulness endures. Those capture the idea of stability. Established, standing fast. He uses the word stand again in verse 91. So the idea here at the opening of uh, this stanza is that there's stability to be found. And that stability is anchored in uh, the very theme of the entirety of Psalm 119, the Word of God. We find our stability when life is crazy all around us uh, by standing on God's Word. Now, the psalmist goes about it an interesting way in, in capturing this for us. He, he opens and he says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Uh, he, he's drawing our attention, our gaze, our thoughts upward. Things on earth are so often unsettled and unsured, but that which is in heaven is established. That which is in heaven uh, is, is, is fixed. The word of God, he is telling us, is, is a word from heaven, and it is firmly fixed. It is unshifting, it is unaltering, it is stable. And then in verses 90 and 91, he, he kind of gives us a, a, a way to understand this. He ties together here the two types of revelation that God has given to us what we refer to as general revelation and uh, specific revelation. General revelation being what God tells us about himself through, through nature, and then the special revelation, the specific revelation that he gives to us through his word. So he's wanting to capture here the, 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 the stability of the word and its eternal source, that it is a word from heaven, and he leads us to that by drawing our attention to how God has operated in creation. Look at what he says in verse 90. 
your faithfulness endures to all generations or from generation to generation. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. So what is the psalmist doing here? Well, he's teaching us about God's revelation. And specifically here, he's dealing with the revelation given to us through nature, and he's tying that to our confidence in the revelation that he gives us through his word. So let's think about it for a moment. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. Think with me to Genesis 1 for a moment. The creation account. How did God create? Well, the big theological word is ex nihilo, out of nothing, but he brought it about out of nothing by doing what? What's the refrain that you hear in the uh, beginning of Genesis 1? And God said. And God said. And God said. And God said. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, the firmaments be divided. And the firmaments were divided. And God said is the refrain that we have over and over. So what we realize is that in the creation account, God created by his word. That what we see, God has brought about through the power of his word. And what we're seeing here from the psalmist is that the Lord has established the earth by his word. And look, it's here. It's not spinning out of control and in cosmic chaos. Now sin has infiltrated and broken and, and we recognize that, but we're here. The laws of physics are operating. It's amazing when you read through the Psalms how often the psalmist, uh, different authors even, come back to creation. In Psalm 8, the psalmist speaks there of how it is the operation of God uh, to hang the stars out, to call them by name, to put them in their courses. In Psalm 19, the psalm opens, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the opening half of Psalm 19 is all about the general revelation that God gives through creation. General revelation that he has brought about by speaking it into existence in the power of his word. And then do you know where he goes in the second half of Psalm 19? The specific revelation, the special revelation that he gives us through the word of God. So we see these things tied together, and that's what the psalmist is doing here in the opening verses of this stanza. He is causing us to look at creation brought about by the power of God speaking, his word producing it, and letting us know his word holds fast. One of the stars come out in the language of accommodation from our perspective, why do they come out every night? Because he calls them all by name and he puts them there. He says in verse 91, by your appointment, by your ordering, they stand this day. They, many commentators believe, is a reference to the heavenly bodies, the stars, the sun, even the, the earth itself standing where the Lord has established them. And he says, for all things are your servants. When you read Psalm 19, those opening verses that deal with the general revelation that comes through creation, 
It talks about there how the sun runs its course day after day. And night after night, the stars and the moon shine in the sky, and there's no place where their language is not heard. That everywhere on the face of creation, these things are seen, and it's a testimony of the glory of God. And it came about by His Word. He established it through His Word and creation. So here, the psalmist is reminding himself and reminding us that when when God gives His Word, He upholds it. When God gives His Word, things happen. Appointments stand. Things are fixed. And he ties that into the theme of the entirety of the psalm, that God has given us His written Word as well. And in that Word, we have a sure and steady anchor. In that Word, we have a firm foundation. In that Word, we have a rock upon which to stand when the storm is raging all around. Now, I think there's a couple of important characteristics that he mentions here that that tie uh, tie directly to the written Word of God. So he's dealing a little bit with general revelation, leading us to the specific revelation of the Word. And there's a couple of characteristics that I think uh, we see of the written Word. First of all, we see here that God's Word is inspired. The Word of God is inspired. It is your Word. Your word, verse 89. Previously in verse 72, I believe it is, in Psalm 119, the psalmist told us it is the word of your mouth, the law of your mouth. In this idea, he is conveying that the word of God is the very breath of God. This is what Paul would write in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, that uh, all of Scripture is inspired. It is the very breath, the very word of God. It is God's word given to us. It is God's personal revelation of himself to mankind. And when we speak of God's word being inspired, the doctrine of inspiration, there's two aspects of it, the verbal and the plenary inspiration aspects of God's word. Simply means that every word everywhere comes from God. And when we stop and we remind ourselves that this is what we have, that this is the the high ground that God gives us to stand upon, is God's Word. We have something that is sure and stable. Because the Word of God comes from a God who is true. His Word is an expression and an extension of His character. Uh, The New Testament tells us He is a God who cannot lie. So we stand on God's Word. It's inspired. Uh, We also uh, know that God's Word is inerrant. Inerrant meaning that it is without error. The second half of verse 89, as the psalmist is here speaking about the Word of God being firmly fixed in heaven. Firmly fixed. In heaven. There's no error in heaven. There's no mistakes in heaven. And this is the origination of, of the Word of God. This is, this is where it comes from. It is God's Word, God who resides and reigns and rules in heaven, where all is perfect, so His Word, therefore, is perfect. And then we realize in this opening part of the stanza that God's Word is also infallible, meaning that what God has said in His Word will ultimately come to pass. It's infallible. 
We see this in the expression that the psalmist has given. We've mentioned some of them previously. Faithfulness, enduring to all generation, standing, fixed. This is the idea that God's word and God's promises, he always keeps. So if you find yourself in a a situation where the waves are over your head, where you've gone in and you've gone under, Know that God's given you something to stand on. He's given you his word. And that word is high ground, it's holy ground, it's stable ground. That no matter what's taking place, you can go to and find a place to plant your feet. So the stability of God's word, that's where the psalmist begins here. But then in the second half of the stanza, and we've seen this pattern a lot. He opens with one thing, he, he comes to a second thing, and he does that here in this stanza as well. In the second half of the stanza, he speaks to us about the sufficiency of God's word. So it's almost as if in the first half he's reminding himself, this is the word of God. This is not the opinion of man. This is uh, not some self-help. This is the, the word of a holy God, and God's word is faithful and true and endures and it stands fast. Uh, I can stand upon this, and if I can stand upon this, then God's word is sufficient for whatever I need and whatever situation I find myself in. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, I believe it's verse 3, that according to Uh, his divine goodness, he has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That God has given us what we need to live a life that is pleasing to him, to live a life of godliness. And what's interesting is when you continue reading through that first chapter of 2 Peter, Peter comes to the, the, the topic, the theme of the word of God. What has God given us in this life that will give us life and lead us in godliness? Ultimately, his word, his word. The word of God is sufficient for the child of God. And here we hear the psalmist declaring that. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished. I would never forget your precepts. They've given me life. The wicked lie and wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. The word of God is sufficient for us when we're facing the storms of life. It is the high ground, the sure ground that we can go to. Now, when we find ourselves in those situations, though a lot of times we're looking for a lot of other things. We're we're trying to find something else. And God says, no, I've given it to you. It's in the Word. Get in the Word. Stay in the Word. Notice what the psalmist says. Now remember, the wicked are still there. Despair is still, you know, the waves are still crashing. All right, the battle's still raging. But notice what he says, verse 92. If your law had not been my delight. The word of God is sufficient no matter what season of life that you're in to keep your joy full. To keep your joy full. There's a distinction between our joy and our happiness. I don't, I don't want to get too fine in splitting hairs. I think there's some overlapping there. There's some, some lines that certainly intersect, but, but there's a distinction. Not everything that happens to us is happy or enjoyable. 
But yet as a believer, as a child of God, we can maintain joy and have joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Jesus tells us in John 15 that we're to abide in him, that our joy may be full. And so we're to be people that have joy. James tells us in James 1, count it all joy, my brethren, no matter the various trials that you're facing. Well, how do we maintain that joy? We maintain that joy by uh, seeing the Lord and knowing the glory of the Lord and reminding ourselves of the gospel. Well, where do we most clearly see those things and remind ourselves of those things and encounter those things? In the Word of God, in His Word. So the Word of God is sufficient to maintain our joy, to give us our delight, no matter what we may face in this life. He tells us that the word of God is sufficient to give life. Verse 93, I will never uh, forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Now, I think there's an indication here that uh, he's confident and he's assured the Lord's hearing his prayers and the Lord's going to answer and, and, and there's trust and faith. I think for us it's a reminder that you know we can have faith in God and that as we stay in his word and stand on his word, the sufficiency of the word will continue to nourish the spiritual life within us. It will continue to lead us into abundant life. The word of God is sufficient for that. And then in verse 95, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. We've seen this a little bit before already from the psalmist that when we stand on the Word, when we look to the Word, when we recognize the sufficiency of the Word, it will help us keep focused on what really matters. It puts things into a proper perspective for us. The wicked were lying in wait. They were around every corner, they were there every day, but yet the psalmist said, because of your word, its stability and its sufficiency, my perspective are on, is on other things. It, it's on eternal things. It's on pleasing you and knowing you and glorifying you. I consider your testimonies. I, I'm not giving so much thought to the enemy as I am giving thought to you. I think sometimes that's what the devil wants us to do. To think a little bit more about him. To think a little bit more about ourself. I was reminded of the quote from Robert uh, Murray McShane, the young Scottish preacher. Uh, some of you may be familiar with that name because of the Bible reading plan that he put together. It's um, hundreds of years old and still used today by many, many people. But McShane said, for every look that you take at yourself, take ten looks to the cross. For every look that you take to yourself, take ten looks to the cross. We're a people that are prone to navel-gazing. If you don't know what navel-gazing is, you have a belly button. And if you look at your belly button, all you're doing is looking at yourself and thinking about yourself and focusing on yourself. And we're people prone to that. 
And what McShane said is we've got to get away from that. And how do we get away from that? Look to the cross. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the Hebrew writer said, and run the race that he has set before you. That's what the psalmist is saying here uh, in verse number 95. The wicked are all around me, but I'm, I'm thinking about you. I'm looking at you. I'm considering your testimonies. The word of God is sufficient to direct our thoughts to God. And then he comes to verse 96, and this is where we're going to try to land the plane. He bookends the stanza. He's done this other times as well in previous stanzas that we've looked at. But he does it kind of in a, a unique way. In verse 89, he opens speaking about the eternality of God's word, that it is a supernatural word from heaven, from God, and he says it is firmly fixed. It's settled, it's secure, it's stable. The eternality of the word of God is, is firmly fixed in the heavens. It's your word. Well, kind of in the play off of that, he comes to the end of the, the stanza and he bookends it, and this is what he says. I have seen a limit to all perfection. The word limit there is end. I've seen an end, and perfection there speaks of things of earth. Basically what he's saying is there is an end to everything upon this earth. It's kind of like a line pulled from the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanities. There's a limit to what this world can give to you. What this life can offer for you. But, but in contrast to that, your commandment, your word, is exceedingly broad. Now he's again giving us the eternality of the word. The things of earth are limited. The things of earth are fixed. The things of man and what life here can give you uh, is only going to get you so far. But your word is exceedingly broad. He takes us back to the eternality, the supernatural nature of the word of God. And here's what he says. It is fixed in heaven, but know this, it's without limits as well. The word of God is without limits. Our God is a God without limits. And the psalmist here reminds us, even as he has reminded himself, that that's what we can stand on. That's the high ground of God's word. It doesn't mean that the waves are going to stop, that the wind will lay down. The enemy's going to turn around and go the other way, but it means there's stability. There's a foothold. One commentator described what the psalmist had gone through in the previous stanzas as climbing a mountain. I hate to disappoint some of you, but we're not going to have the rock climbing wall this Sunday at the church picnic. I know some of y'all are sorely disappointed about that. We will have axe throwing, however, so there's, there's that working for you. 
But I, I can just tell you, I have no desire to, to climb a rock or a mountain or anything. We get out there, and all the teenagers, they always think it's fun to get their out of shape, slightly overweight pastor up on that rock wall and see if they can beat him. And my ego's too much that I, I, I can't let them win, so I always try to give it my best. But after coming back down, I quickly want to get away from everybody. Number one, because I'm huffing and puffing, and my hands are literally shaking, my legs are burning. I don't see how those guys do it. But the commentator said the psalmist has been climbing a mountain for stanzas on end. His legs are burning, his lungs are heaving, and he needs a place to rest. And he finds it on God's word. He can stand upon the word of God. And it's a refuge and a solace. It's a place of relief, even though the storm still rages. And so I would simply tell you tonight that when you find yourself in a place like the psalmist, do what he did. Just stand up on the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that your word is firmly fixed in heaven. Your word is the revelation that you've given to us of yourself. And you are a God who is true and cannot lie. A God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And while all around us gives way, while the world around us never ceases to change. God, you remain steadfast. And Father, your word remains steadfast. And so Father, let us stand upon it. Let us set our feet upon the rock of Scripture and find relief and rest from the battering of the waves and the relentless attack of the enemy. Let us rest in your word. May it bring joy, delight, abundant life. May it keep our focus upon you. That our lives, O oh Lord, may bring you glory. And Father, for these who are before me tonight, God, I pray that you would be with them. I pray your word would be in them that it would dwell in them richly, that their life in you may flourish. And Father, I pray if it's your will that we should gather this next Lord's Day, let us come eagerly that we may gaze upon your glory and never be the same. Go with us now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.